thinking about preparing for your kid's future in terms of tools is a very bad way to go about planning. Instead, a better way to think about it is like, how can I create a, an opportunity for them in the future? How can I, I create this opportunity fund? Don't try to pigeonhole this opportunity fund into a specific tool. There are tons of different financial vehicles out there. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. All right, everybody. One of my favorite episodes upcoming right here. Mitchell Earl, welcome to the show. So many things that we can talk about. I want you to give just a recap on who you are again, Praxis, how you're destroying the college education <laughs> traditional system. And yes, I'm very proud of having you on because I think there's a lot of things we could talk there. We're also just going to talk about why 529 plans can be a ripoff and yeah. a bad idea. And we're just, we're just going to chat. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. So thanks for coming on the show for a second time. Yeah, I'm always excited to catch up with you. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show since I'm probably one of your top listeners on Spotify. I'll let you know when my uh, Spotify wrapped drops later this year. To give you kind of the background, CEO of a company called Praxis, it's a year-long apprenticeship program uh, for entrepreneurial young adults who want something more than a traditional college experience. We are literally brick by brick trying to uh, pull down the establishment and 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 not really I could say that kind of tongue-in-cheek but there are so many young adults that they want something more they don't want to be in debt up to their eyeballs till they're in their 50s they want sort of that optionality and control over their fate and future and that is very much sort of the uh, idea behind praxis is like what's the most practical way to go break out into the real world and, and get started strong and so I get to have a lot of fun uh, talking about the ideas we're going to talk about today too like with young adults and their families as they're trying to evaluate that decision and you know a big part of what you guys talk about all the time is like being more intentional about going and building their lives and careers. It, it's interesting we talk a lot about efficiency and I, I see college just like everything else as a decision. There's a decision with different opportunity costs tied to it and it one of my the the lens that i see the world through is like okay if you want x what is the best way the most efficient way looking at your time your resources and other aspects of your life to get that and i mean i think the last time we chatted i mean the co college is is for some people and like you're you guys aren't trying to say like you're the college alternative for 100 percent of people but i think Absolutely. we we can take a look at just the system you look at the inflationary which actually isn't college now on the same level as inflation <laughs> like every year upon year and so and you look at that and say okay okay that doesn't make a ton of sense and there's reasons for that i.e the government loaning money allowing you know colleges to just jack up their prices but then what are the real results people are getting yeah and and that's what i look at it through i i'm not emotional about the college experience it's like you're, you're sacrificing four or five and sometimes six years of your life. Yeah. And are you getting a, a it's got to be a crazy rate of return when you fast in time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so something that I think surprises people when I say this sometimes is I, I actually think like student debt can be one of the most efficient ways to finance your college education. Now, I say that with a big caveat, like one, you better know what you want to get out of college and that thing you want to get better be sufficient 
to cover the debt, the opportunity yes. cost, uh, not just financial opportunity cost, but the opportunity cost of your time, your foregone earnings, your foregone experience, all of those different things that, that you could go do instead sort of all at once. But more importantly than just sort of the debt factor is one of the things that I think is dangerous about student debt, even for the people who know what they want to do. And so let's talk about like uh, your typical STEM path, doctors, lawyers, uh, accountants. So there's there's kind of two problems here with, with most of these. One, you're not just going to stop at a bachelor's degree. Right. Most, most of these career paths where higher education makes sense, you have to continue up to a point that that's probably on the low side, you're probably like 150 to $200,000 in student debt. So like you need to make a lot of money in order to, to carry that cost. So there's, there's that aspect. But number two, it forces plan lock. And when I say plan lock, what I mean is like the more debt you take on and the more time you invest in this, there's sort of this like mounting pressure to that the plan works out and that you don't get bored with the plan. You don't just like drop out of your, your second year of medical school with $250,000 and you're like, well, now I'm ready to go figure out what I want to do with my life because it's not be a doctor. It's like, well, now you have $250,000 of bad debt. It could be good debt if you're actually capturing those higher earnings. But in the, in the instances where you don't actually fulfill sort of the path that you started on, which can be, you know, in some, in some cases for, you know, specialized doctors, it could be 15 years before you start capturing those earnings that actually justify this debt burden. It's very unlikely that at age 17 or 18, you know what you want to do at age 33. Yeah, fair. So every year you, you better be buying in more to sort of this plan that you start down if, if that's the route you want to take. That's sort of the unmarketed dangers to the average like young achiever like myself who I felt I kind of felt pushed down that path because I, right. I had good grades and I was ambitious kids go on to become doctors and lawyers okay. and accountants and finance people and like sort of all these plans that sort of kind of creates this like self-perpetuating narrative about college and the value and like the necessity of, of student debt. And anyway, there's there's millions of rabbit trails we could go down there, but all in all, if you're not going to be smart about the debt or you don't know what you want to get out of it, or it's not, it doesn't have a high enough return, like just don't do it. It's not the most efficient way. We, we should create a plan lock calculator. And I think there's, there's a video that could be built around that whole concept because I, I love that. And even, even if you're ambitious, like what, what's the value of potentially taking a gap year and trying something different? And you're saying like, you're not going to regret spending a year doing an internship, learning all these things. It's like, it's not like, what's the worst thing that can happen, you know? And it, you might just be better prepared for the college experience. But for some people, they're going to realize like, oh, um, I don't actually want to do this. And thank goodness I didn't spend 15 Absolutely. years of my life and, and feel obligation, uh, obligated for the rest of my life to do this thing that I'm making a decision when really it's not even 18, it's 16. Um, and so yeah. it's like, it, it is it is crazy. I. I actually know someone that dropped out of med school and and they had zero regrets, but they're still paying the consequences of that. They're happier, but I think if they were listening to this right now, they would be nodding their head 
um, quite a bit. My, my brother's actually a good example of, he took a gap year, went and did a lot of like mission opportunities. Yep. He came back, realized that college was just not a good good fit, went the tech route, and then is ultimately an instructor in the in the Navy. And so that's a, or Air Force, he's probably gonna kill me uh, if you heard <laughs> that, sorry. Uh, but like, so that is the, that's the whole like, that's beautiful. And, and, and he didn't know at 18 that that's what yep. he wanted to do, but time around quality people allowed him to be in a situation to make bet, a better decision. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, so that's one of the sort of like the methods to the madness that I talk to a lot of young adults about is like, you know, if you don't know what you want to do, one of the first things you should aim at is clarity. And this is true, not just for you in your life after high school, but this is sort of like every area of your life. If you don't know, like gather some information, review it, try and make a plan, just go get started. You know, don't don't sit there and dawdle and, and not take action because that's that's actually in many cases a worse decision, but just go try some stuff. And if you can, validate things that make you want to continue exploring that path and two, invalidate things that you absolutely can't stand. Like your goal is clarity. Try some stuff, cross some options yes. off and then refocus. But but don't don't commit to a plan that has a cost that you can't reverse if you change your mind. That's the dangerous part. I love it. I love it. So many so many things that I want to ask you, but where do you see college going in the next 3 to 5 years? Do you believe that kids that are being born this year are going to even do college or what what shifts do you see happening in the big grand scheme of thing as it relates to the college higher education? Yeah, that's a really fun question because I I think that it, this will be a fun reflection, fun thing to reflect on in like five years and, and 10 years as this plays out. And every year I kind of make my predictions uh, about what's going to happen. And I, I see a few different things happening. So one interesting observation is there are just so many different smart people. And I'll pat myself on the back on this, I guess. But like there's so many different smart people like tackling this problem. Higher education and the way people pay for education and sort of that whole path of and it's it's not just college it's also like everything about how you raise young adults and prepare them for the real world so that's k through 12 it's you know there's tons of things going on about um like school vouchers and things and homeschooling and all so sort of like education all across the board is is under uh, investigation People are starting to question: Is there a better way? Are are there alternatives that we should that we should implement? That's the most exciting part: is there's all this different uh, sort of chaos going around, and a lot of people trying to innovate, um, not just the actual education, but the financing too. And so, I think in the next decade, we're going to see a lot of different options. That's the most exciting sort of prediction I'm making: is sort of this this marketplace of different options, as opposed to you know, right now, most kids, if you're not homeschooled, most kids go to private school or public school. And then after that, you go to college or you go to trades or you're a loser. That's like the narrative. That's right, not right. what I believe. I think there are already cool things you can do instead, but that's sort of the narrative. I think I've already started to see this in the work we do. More and more people are, are just, they're not buying into that narrative anymore. Right. So as far as college goes, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some contraction um, so colleges that have a history of being a lower, uh, signal, lower quality signal on the job market, 
especially ones that have high prices. So think of your like, think of your like bottom tier quality, expensive private schools. Yeah. yeah. They're probably going to not, yeah. there's probably not going to be as many of them in the next five right. to 10 years. I could see there being more universities as well. I could see like sort of the market expanding and and there being a lot more options and sort of this race to the bottom in pricing just to respond to, um, you know, consumer demand and, and also like declining enrollment numbers. Yeah. I think that if the government decides to step in and, and burden all of us taxpayers with everyone's student debt bill, that could also spur on. Um, some radical change. It could accelerate a trend. And then I think at the top of the market, like college is going to get more expensive for like a select group of Ivy League and right. schools that have a clear path to a, not not to a job, but to a specific sort of status tier. Yeah. Like they're going to continue to go up in price. There's a person that he's slipping my name, but I want to get on the podcast and he does uh, college like ROI mm-hmm. uh, different schools. And he, it's, it's interesting because like if you can get into Harvard, um, it's actually, you could, you could argue that that's a great rate of return versus what you said. Like you, you pay just the same amount of price for a no name school. That's super expensive. Yeah. And like, yeah. Good, good luck trying to make that rate of return. It, yeah. A lot of, a lot of things you said are like, I, I a hundred percent agree. Do you see the government bailing out student debt? Like I, I, that even Biden didn't like do that. And you would think that would he, with his kind of agendas, that would be something that he would want to pursue. I honestly am the probably least qualified person on the planet to make predictions about what the government does. I don't watch the news. I try to avoid it altogether. And I just assume the worst possible, <laughs> worst case scenario thing is going to happen. And and I try to plan for that, you know, like, especially as you look at the world right now, we're like in this period of uh, hyperinflation that's you know, yeah. depending on what source you look at, it's it could be like two digits different. I think that if college, you know, if student debt is forgiven, that's and that's that's the solution. We don't stop lending. We just forgive this tranche of loans. That's a really bad outcome. Like you're not solving the problem. You're you're just, you know, shirking responsibility from these, you know, this subset of, of borrowers. That's not a good solution. Um if they don't forgive it, I imagine this issue just continues to come up, especially if there there is not, uh, if something isn't done to curb increasing tuition and more and more student borrowers taking on five to six figures of debt to go pursue majors and paths that just do not economically make yes, sense. 100%. Because that's actually probably the riskiest path when you think about it at sort of this macroeconomic scale. Now we're just creating all these debtors. That's not a society I want to live in. No, no. And and you and it goes back to your concept of plan lock. Um, even let's take doctor out of it. You just go to a regular school, you find yourself $60,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. And now now you can't fall like you can't follow your quote unquote dreams. Um, because it's, it's interesting. It's like I, I kind of make fun of the art degree. But if you <laughs> love art, there's actually like it's 2022. Like there's a ton of ways to make money. And and like, I find myself wishing I knew more artists because I being an entrepreneur, like I could use your help. So hit me up. But yeah. it's like, but if you're already strapped, you're not able to potentially take that risk or say yes to that job that's like has potential. And because you are already locked in, you got to pay, pay that. And so it's just, 
it, it is, it's, it's very interesting. And I think we could speculate and talk all day long. Is there any final thoughts that you have around college before we shift to like the 529 plan and how people are saving for college? Yeah. So kind of my final thought here is, you know, what I, what we're building in practice, it kind of represents this idea uh, manifested in a different way is that I, I honestly believe this idea that you're coming out of high school and you go directly into college, especially in a world today where technology is completely upended most sectors and going to continue to do this. Like it's a bad, it's a bad sequence of events that we have come to accept as sort of the normal route people take. Right. We'll put the argument on the shelf, whether college is good or bad or effective or not for a second the fact that people are delaying experience and going out and, and trying different things and exposing themselves to this just like incredibly vast marketplace of opportunities and ideas, that's the dangerous thing. And I think that, you know, if more people, you know, they didn't, the accepted path was that, you know, for your first four years out of, out of high school, you just go try stuff, you get work experience, you save some money, you do that. And then, you know, that's when people start, you know, start to go to college or do some other things right. like that. That's a wildly different. Um, that's a wildly different outcome, I think. Right. And I think fewer people that probably wouldn't have wanted to go to college, fewer people go, um, fewer people go into student debt. I think there will be some correction in that. Right. And just like Thank the you. percentage of people that just like default that that's the route you take. And that's, that's what makes me hopeful. And and the one thing that the one thing that can change in a heartbeat is if big companies change their requirements. Absolutely. And start and by the way, capitalism like hire the best person. That shouldn't Absolutely. be it shouldn't be something that we should try to convince you and and the market will I think ultimately correct if it's given the the right time. Get I want to break down a concept that I've been thinking a lot about. It's called value leveraging. It's my whole belief that create value and amplify that value and you'll make money. But what is value? Well, it really comes down to either a service or a product. Um, yeah. So like, it, it's like, what is the, it's just that it's that simple as you have an input and then you can create a service or a product. When you think about creating work, you know, we're now in the service standpoint because I mean, entrepreneurs can create products, but at the end of the day, majority of people make money via service and it's either yep. working somewhere or running a company that has leverage, i.e. people that are a part of that company that create a service. But but a lot of times when people say like, what is like, my job is valuable kind of stuff. It's like, it's I'm not talking about you as a human being, but there's a difference. Like a heart surgeon is gonna get paid a little bit different than a car mechanic. And that's probably a bad example because you could be an <laughs> entrepreneurial car mechanic and do well, but like For sure. the idea is not all services are valued the same has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what the market is willing to pay for that. The Absolutely. same thing goes with your skill set and why you're even doing college to begin with is what values, what are, what are you going to be creating in value to give to someone, an employer, a partnership, an opportunity, and you will ultimately get compensated for the value that you bring to that, that company. And so it's the perception of value. And so yeah. it, it, we just have to be in that mindset of like, it's not a it's not a piece of paper that's an insurance policy. It's a how can I create value? Because if you can be of value to society and that can be marketed well, you're going to be in a really, really good place. And so that's the mindset. If college, praxis, going and working for free for two years, regardless of what that activity looks like, if you can put yourself in a position to have that value and understand that that's how you're going to get paid, like hopefully some light bulb moments can come off. And that's that's one thing I know about you. You've 
you've had this in your mind for years and that's essentially what praxis is it's a, it's a better investment for for the time bang for your buck and for the opportunities for a lot of people going based on the value creation yeah you you literally took you know words words that i've said right out of my mouth is i, I tell people this all the time it's all that matters when you go out in the market is it's your ability to create value and number two, your ability to convince other people of the value you create. Yes. If you can do those two things, you're gonna have no problems. You're gonna have more money and more opportunity than you could ever dream of. But you have to have both. You can't have just one. You gotta have both. And that's a wildly different way of thinking about sort of how do I equip my equip myself for life yep. than, you know, I'll go to college because a degree will give me that signal. That signal that signal does not mean what it used to. And what's cool is it, it comes full circle because that perception of value, there was a day that having a college degree, and there's still for a lot of people, it still is that perception of value gets your your foot in the door, but it's 2022 or whenever you're listening to this, like so things have changed. And if you have a skill, there's so many, it's easier to get in front of the right people now than it was 30 years ago. Absolutely. So, Dude, this fires me up. I think every time we chat, I, I like hint that, you know, if you need an extra investor in your business, <laughs> like I literally think, do you count? Because I think every time I'm not even subtle anymore. I'm like, hey, by the way, if you if you need a, another partner, let me know. Um, I, I just love love the business model and love what you guys are up to. Let's talk about 529 it. plans and fi 529 plans are, I mean, you can break it down if you'd like. It's It's a way to save money, saving for college it's has a lot of restrictions mm -hmm. and it's great if your kid is going to go to college which is awesome but the way that it's funded the way that it grows taking that money out and never able to work for you ever again and oh by the way if you don't go to college then you lose a lot of tax benefits and it becomes a really negative scenario you hit me up the other day it was just a while ago and you're like hey we should wrap on this yeah and i couldn't agree more so i'll let you kind of break down your thoughts because you think a lot of a lot of a lot of the same thoughts as it relates to money and economics. Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember, you know, one of my first jobs out of college, like I was I was working in financial advising. I remember like going through all the rigmarole, like you've got all these financial products. And I remember being told how great five five twenty nine savings plans are, and like this is part of your balanced breakfast as a you know somebody building your financial portfolio. You got to have this five twenty nine plan. And you know, I didn't think much about it at at the time. Um, especially as somebody who had just come out of college and I, I had no student debt because I paid for college with scholarships. So I didn't think about it much then. But then as I got older, you know, and especially now what we're doing, I encounter more and more people who their parents were sold this, you know, I'll, I'll say it because it's this show, this false bill of goods with the 529 plan. They could be effective in some certain circumstances. And this goes back to what I was saying about plan lock earlier. Like, 529 plans, my most negative take, my biggest uh, sort of contention with them is this idea of plan lock. And, and it's not you locking yourself into a plan, it's you locking your kids into a plan. It doesn't have to necessarily be used for college. Sort of 529 plan in general is a, is a special education savings vehicle. It allows you to make after-tax contributions into a plan. Those contributions grow tax-free. Um, but the caveat is if you use the gain for anything that is not deemed by the federal government or the state government that governs your plan as a qualified education expense, not only are you going to be taxed on that gain, you will also uh, be hit with a 10% penalty. 
So that, that part is what freaks people out about 529 plans. They think it's great because, okay, you know, especially with rising tuition costs over the past 20 to 30 years, parents are like, okay, I need to outpace the increase in tuition. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to make contributions to this, this plan that grows tax-free, hoping that, you know, we're going to have this amount of money. You know, Bobby and Susie can go to, uh, they can go to college for free because mom and dad have already taken care of it. It's going to be fine. What they don't account for is, hey, maybe my kids don't want to go to college or maybe my kids want to go do something. Uh, maybe they want to go travel the world as, as their education. And so um, my first kind of point here that I make is that thinking about preparing your, you know, preparing for your kid's future in terms of tools is a very bad way to go about planning. Instead, a better way to think about it is like, how can I create a, an opportunity for them in the future? How can I, I create this opportunity fund? Don't try to pigeonhole this opportunity fund into a specific tool. There are tons of different financial vehicles out there. And I think when you're, when you're betting on an uncertain future, especially from a finance, financial standpoint, you absolutely don't want to pigeonhole yourself. You want to have control. You want to have optionality. You want to have liquidity. There are things that are sort of like inherent to making this blind bet on an unknown future for your kids. Yep. That's that's point number one. Um, <laughs> Love it, dude. I, I 100%. Yep. Point number two, and this is the part where, you know, for your listeners who already have 529 plans and for, you know, people who even advisors who sell these things all the time. Very few people know about this aspect of it. Because your contributions to a 529 plan are made with after-tax dollars, you can use your contributions any way you want with no penalties, no taxes. You can take up to your total basis. So you put $10,000 in, it grows to $20,000. You can take $10,000 out. You can use it for whatever you want. There's no taxes, there's no penalties. Obviously, I'm not a CPA. I'm not a tax attorney. Like go, go consult, you know, your plan administrator, go talk to somebody about this. Make sure you're doing good record keeping, but you have more control than I think is perceived. And I think that's by design too, that you feel locked into this plan. Like people don't, you know, the same thing with like qualified retirement plans is you want to sort of create this perception that those dollars are locked in forever. There's no way out. Um, and even if you want to liquidate the complete plan, like you can do that. There's a cost to it. There's, you know, taxes or a penalty, or as I like to think about it, there's a fee for doing it. But you're but, not paying taxes in the 10% on the, the, all the whole number. It's just the gain. Just the gain. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that, that right there. Most but, people do not know that. And, yeah. and again, like I've been doing this for a long time and I, I had to take a, a refresher crash course to remind myself about this. And that's such a critical uh, distinction, you know, it's important to me because I, I don't, I run a program that is not a college and we don't want to be an accredited organization. I think college is a bad product. I want to create something better, but I also, you know, I recognize that there's a cost if a family has been making contributions to this plan and a young adult wants to go pursue something that's not an accredited expense. I think families, they, they sit down and they rethink the calculus. They're like, hey, I, I have these plant, these dollars, they're earmarked for college and I can't pull them out to go finance my kids, you know, education, even if that's not college, I can't help them um, 
these dollars can only be used for college. And that's not true. You can pull them out and you can, you know, you can set your kid up for success. You know, go talk to your a professional about this. Don't just don't just write off that you can't use the funds. Like you, it's your money, use it when you need it as the commercials say. 100% and, and there's intention because how many people potentially listening or watching this are literally think that's like dead money because one of the things I love how they uh, they they pitch it is like if you don't go to college your children can go to college and stuff and so <laughs> what does that what does that literally say or like you could pass it on it's like no if grandma set up an account for me that's my money man like I'm not I'm not giving it to my other cousin that's going on to yeah. higher education but what what you're saying is um like it's not as bad as we we think about it and you wonder why Wall Street and a lot of these people kind of share like share that because they want as much money kept in their control. So the, they don't want you to cash out the money. By the way, financial advisors don't want you to cash out that money because that's less assets for them to control. So it's one of those things where we're saying, and this is not financial advice. If you're going to sue anyone, sue Mitchell, don't sue me. Okay. <laughs> He's the one speaking. Um, but like literally we're just trying to get you to start thinking differently. Yeah. And we're saying if you do have a 529 plan, yeah, it's not super ideal on taxes and 10% penalty. Like if you had to go back like over, you could do it differently. But remember, we're like talking on the gain. So it's just yeah. like, so it's like we have to perspective. And what is the opportunity cost of just keeping your money dead in an account that you really can't touch versus investing potentially in your er early years in your life that create a massive opportunity to take you to the next level? There's one more insidious point I have to make. This is pure evil in my mind, honestly, okay. the way that this is set up. So if you have a 529 plan or grandma has set up a 529 plan, or maybe your parents and your grandparents did, you're going to college. You are applying for financial aid at an institution. Your ability to pay tuition is factored into that decision about financial aid. Your ability to pay. So they're not looking like if you have that 529 plan you have a higher ability to pay than the other person who doesn't you have, have to that. report it you have to report that and again this may vary by colleges but a lot of colleges financial aid offices they are now evaluating that so like literally your parents maybe they were scrimping and saving and they they're like not really well off but they you know putting you through college was a priority to them. And so they, they put this nest egg aside or maybe grandparents or whatever. And now you are a less likely to be qualified for maximum financial aid because you have that asset. I think that's kind of crazy. Like, first of all, I think that there's an argument to be made that there's probably like merit-based financial aid. Um, there's some kind of like different calculus that should be applied to that in general. But I think that that's, that's another thing that you need to factor into your plan. If college is the plan, especially if you know that as parents, like, hey, I know my, my kid at one years old, he's going to go to college for sure. So I'm going to plan for this. Like, factor this in. Yeah. Like, there, you know, you were talking about efficiency earlier. This has a dramatic impact on your, you know, your, your son or daughter's ability to go get financial aid and university-based scholarships, things like that. Like, you might want to factor that in. That's something you want to know. Not, not that this show is all about pitching our services, but it's <laughs> funny. You don't have to report life insurance. No, you don't. Which is, which is insane to me. And the, a strategy that some people do is they'll intentionally do a one lump sum mech. Because it's like, this is how crazy it is. Like you have a million dollars in a savings account, you put it, you mech a contract, which is almost dollar for dollar in a policy. 
Now you don't have to report that. And you're saying that if your money's in a 529 plan, which is you're doing all the right things for college, that has to be reported, which I think it pure evil is is, an, is a definitely a word that you've used, but it's uh it it doesn't make sense and it, it it's like sets you up for le- less efficiency because you take that same person and one person gets a way better access, cheaper access to college than than the other, and it just shouldn't be that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you brought the life insurance thing up too, like because when you think about like dividend paying whole life, uh, whole life insurance. And you think about like products like real estate and you think about student loans and like there's there's probably this model and I've tinkered with this um, of like absolute maximum efficiency for financing college. And it, it's it doesn't have to necessarily be these products, but I like these products where you are funding a life insurance policy as a way to buy real estate, repay those those policy loans, buy more real estate repay those policy loans and do that for the, you know, for the first 18 years of your kid's life. And then if they want to go to college, now you've got, you've got this asset, plus you've got cash flowing assets in addition to that. And now if they want to go take out student loans, like you have created such an incredible efficiency for them that also gave them complete optionality. They didn't have to go to college. There are way more efficient ways to do this than dumping it into a tool that is earmarked for sort of this subset of options. It's, it's, it's funny because optionality is like a great word. And um, if you are going to college and that's like what you're going to do and you can get cheap money from student loan, take it. Uh, even if you have access to money or have cash, like it's the opportunity cost because it's like, are you really in debt if you could pay that off? I would say no, you're just creating more options. But yeah. you're, you're totally right. A lot of people are not in the, the, the space where they're choosing, they're, they're in, they have to make a decision. And as a result, they might make a less favorable decision for them. So, man, I, I love this. Do you have any other points you wanna make on 529 plan? I've, I think I've spoken my, I've spoken my truth here. That I yeah, so I mean, no, number one, the opportunity, like fund, lack of control, like just the overall, what, the talking point that, that I do a lot of times, you mentioned about 529 plan, it's like, it brutal, right? But then the other but the other thing is number two, don't buy into the lie that all that money is locked up and you're gonna get penalized ten percent on the whole thing and taxes. It's like, no, it's like really in the grand scheme of things, it's not ideal, but we're talking about gain here. And so let's yep. just get your money back. That's that's on the table. And so don't feel like you're locked into uh, doing something because grandma funded it. Um, and, and her whole dream was for you to go to college. And then the third, the third deal is, uh, financial aid. You could actually be, um, putting yourself back potentially because this is an asset that you need to report. And there's so many other strategies. If you're going to go to college, make sure to work with someone to take a look at your situation because it can make a massive difference on how you pay for things and the efficiency there. But I think the overall picture is just taking a step back and asking the question, like, give yourself options. Absolutely. It's interesting. You write about this a lot on Facebook. I don't know if you uh, take friend requests, but I love following <laughs> just you, how your thought process is. And you talk a lot about options and control. And there's there's a value, there's a rate of return that we need to put on having more control in an unknown future versus less control. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's something I think just people discount their own control and optionality, their agency over their life in the first place. And I think buying into sort of this narrative that there's this, 
there's this preset conventional path and that's the only way you can take and there aren't there aren't allowable deviations from that path it discounts your power to turn your life into what you want it to become it's just not true and this is why i love having conversations like this like it's all about you know reclaiming that agency and exploring your options and and taking more control and you know, making your life a little bit more of what you want it to be and a little bit less of what you don't want it to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to this because every time we get to chat, it's going to give a parent, a grandparent, or someone in the college age um, a little bit more uh, uh, ammo to, to potentially do what they want to do or, or have another conversation. So make sure to live intentionally and have lean into tough conversations because going back to my new favorite word, plan lock, which is two words, um, is is like, yeah, let's 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 think about that. Think about with the end in mind because early on, like our early years are way more valuable than our later years from a economic standpoint. And so you can't even measure your life on a year to year because a 61 year old is different than a 21 year old. Not, I'm not, again, this is, don't take this personally, but from an economic value, totally different. And so just know that early on, we really, really have to think really critically about what we do. So how can people plug into what you're doing, support what you're up to? And if they have somebody, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I want to learn more about Praxis. How do they, how do they just take the next step? Yeah, for sure. So if you've got just general questions, hit me up over email, Mitchell at discoverpraxis.com. But if you're genuinely interested in learning more about not only Praxis and our apprenticeship, but sort of this idea of how do I go break into the real world without college? How do I succeed and build a more intentional future without sort of taking the traditional conveyor belt? We've got an awesome email guide and series available, discoverpraxis.com slash betterwealth. You can check it out there and uh, always happy to field questions. Amazing, man. I, I um, Someday I might have an opportunity to be a partner, but until then I'll be <laughs> your ultimate ambassador and we're on, we're on the same mission, helping people be more intentional. So appreciate it, man. Always, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.